when we got there, uh, we just felt like that there was just an odd feeling in the room. And we didn't really want to jump to conclusions with her because we wanted to make sure we knew what the issue was. So it took us, I think, two or three visits before we finally was like, okay, yeah, like, this is real, this is authentic, like, there is evil spirits in her house. Sometime during the latter half of my mission, my companion and I were out knocking doors in an apartment complex we'd never been to before. We knocked on a bunch of doors over the course of at least an hour, with no success in finding anyone interested. One time, as we went between apartment buildings, we saw a man and his young son walking on a path in our general direction. We said hi, asked the man some generic question, and started up a conversation right there. We introduced ourselves as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but he already knew who we were. We asked if he'd ever met with missionaries before, and this is what he said. Yeah, I've met with you guys. I mean, not like you guys personally, but a few years ago, some of you helped us get a bad spirit out of our place. What is up, you brave souls, and welcome back to the Adversary Podcast. Episode 6 is here today after a one-week break. Sorry about that. I had a wedding I had to attend and my family was in town, so I couldn't get an episode written, recorded, and edited until this week. But no more excuses. Today's episode is going to make the wait worth it, I hope. The past episodes have all been about missionaries being the target of supernatural forces. But sometimes, missionaries find the call is coming from outside the house, or apartment. Namely, someone else, a member of the church, a non-member, or a person the missionaries are teaching, needs help with something in their home. It's the message no missionary wants to receive, because no one knows exactly how intense the situation will be and what will go down at the scene. But nonetheless, elders and sisters around the world respond to these pleas for help and step into what is often uncharted territory. This first account comes from a sister missionary in the Mississippi Jackson Mission. A leader in the ward in which this sister was serving told her and her companion that there was a less active member of the ward, a woman, who was having a hard time leaving her house. The reason being, she was scared to leave. So this ward leader sent the missionaries over to this woman's house to check on her and basically figure out what was going on. The sisters dropped by to visit the woman during the next week and found her to be the opposite of what they expected. She invited them in and was kind and welcoming, although she was just a little bit odd. The sister described her as having, quote, this look in her eye when you met her. Like you could just tell she'd been paranoid for who knows how long. During the course of meeting with this lady in her home, the sisters could sense this weird feeling in the room. They didn't want to jump to any conclusions about her or what the issue was though, so it took one or two more visits to confirm what they suspected was the problem that there were evil spirits in her house. One of the sisters who was in that house explained to me that it was like a temperature change between a hot and cold room. While walking into the home from outside, they could feel this thickness of a presence that was there. During the sister's second or third visit, and upon recognizing the source of the disturbing feeling, one of the missionaries confronted the spirit and commanded it to leave. As soon as the words left her mouth, the heaviness in the room left as well. According to the sister, the lady was in awe after experiencing the shift in atmosphere. She was amazed at what the sister had just done. Following this event, the sisters called the local elders and asked them to come over and perform an emergency blessing on the house. 
The sister thought that a more formal blessing would solidify the protection on the woman's home. The elders responded promptly and blessed the house. Once the sisters were satisfied that the woman was no longer in any sort of distress, they left. Two days later, however, the sisters returned to a familiar scene. On the very next visit, after expelling the unwanted presence from the lady's home, the sisters discovered the lady had reverted back to her initial state of paranoia and fear. What's more, the same air of discomfort had taken hold of the room again. Now the sisters began to suspect that there was more going on here that the woman wasn't telling them. The sisters asked the woman to describe in greater detail what she was being tormented by. The lady explained that the beings in her house were, quote, seducing spirits. She told the sisters that these spirits would be on top of her in the middle of the night. She'd hear whisperings, and she would get these thoughts and impressions to do bad things. This constant bombardment, combined with the feeling of helplessness, took its toll on the woman. She stopped attending church, which people noticed. She stopped sleeping in her bed and started sleeping on the living room recliner. She wouldn't go to the grocery store, sending her kids out to run the errands instead. What didn't make sense to the sisters, though, was that if she was so scared to be in her home, why didn't she ever leave? Escape seemed like an option here, and an easy one at that. Plus, her house had just been blessed two days ago. So why were things back to how they were before? And then it dawned on the sisters. The obvious answer they didn't want to acknowledge, but was becoming more and more likely to be correct. The woman was inviting these spirits into her home. No blessing would cure the residents of the spirits if the woman wanted them there and kept calling them back. The sisters couldn't do anything for her at this point unless she was willing to change. And at that time, she wasn't. One of the most alarming elements of spirit behavior is their ability to respond to invitations, like an unpleasant friend or relative that accidentally receives your wedding announcement. Once they're invited, they can be quite difficult to uninvite. I've often asked myself, what constitutes an invitation? I've heard that simply talking about spirits can draw them near, and that's why they're not discussed in church meetings, for example. I haven't been able to verify whether or not that's true, but I nevertheless take precautions when working on these episodes. I only record during the day and at locations other than my home, and I try to limit all conversations about these stories to within those parameters as well. Am I being overly careful and maybe a tad superstitious? Yes. But I've heard enough stories to know what can happen when you're not. I don't think I'm in any danger of inadvertently allowing something bad into my life, though, just as listeners of the series aren't going to incur anything bad by listening. The people that want the adversary in their lives make it clear, and know exactly what they're trying to do. While a good defense against this stuff is to not invite it, not every haunting is the result of an explicit invitation. In fact, in the majority of instances, those afflicted are innocent people who are just minding their own business. Such was the case in this next account, which took place in Lubbock, Texas. A new sister missionary was on her second transfer in the Texas Lubbock Mission. One day, she and her companion got a call from a family in their ward. The wife, who was the one calling, was a recently baptized member. Her husband had been a member for a while, but had gone off the deep end, so to speak, and was off and on when it came to practicing his religion. However, at the time, he was working on getting back on track and was making progress. The husband and wife had one little daughter, around two or three years old. The woman on the phone was like, Hey, can I talk to you guys? And the sisters responded, Okay, what's wrong? The wife told the sisters that her husband was having really awful night terrors, with increasing frequency. She also said that sometimes in the middle of the night, she would hear her daughter crying in the other room. But when she'd go to check on her, the daughter would be asleep, not making any noise at all. Both of these events, her husband's nightmares and the strange crying in her daughter's room, worried the wife. But the thing that pushed her over the edge actually occurred during the daytime. One morning, when her husband was at work and she was alone with her daughter in the home, she let the toddler play by herself in a bedroom while she took care of chores around the house. The house was quiet and everything was fine for a while. 
until a high scream emanated from the bedroom, and the daughter came running out. Naturally, the mom rushed to her daughter and tried to console her, asking, What's wrong? Show me what's wrong. The daughter, due to her age, couldn't form the words to explain whatever had happened, but she refused to go back into the room she'd been playing in moments earlier. The parent went in to investigate, but couldn't identify anything that would have provoked such a reaction from her daughter. Eventually, the mother was able to calm her child down and everything seemed to be back under control. Keeping the daughter within her line of sight, presumably, the wife returned to whatever she was doing before. After some time had passed without incident, the mom relaxed a little and her kid disappeared from view into another room. It wasn't long before the same scream pierced the air. The mother, now the most concerned she'd been since the start of her husband's night terrors, scooped up her crying child that run to her and texted the third member of the family. She told him about the morning's events and suggested that everything they'd been experiencing lately was connected. The husband and wife, who were both Hispanic, believed that they were being plagued by a spirit called the Kukui. The sister described the spirit to me as basically the Mexican boogeyman. I made the mistake of doing a Google search and was treated to some strange images. What I learned from other sites, though, is that this quote, ghost monster, is just a mythical character featured in songs and stories. The couple had applied the label of Kukui to whatever was in their home because that was the only kind of spirit they were familiar with. After talking with her husband, the wife called the sister missionaries, who in turn called the bishop and another member. Later that day, all four people arrived at the family's house to help them solve the problem. The sister told me that there was just the worst, worst, worst feeling in that house. As a result, she wouldn't sleep very well for the next several nights. The blessing proceeded normally, however, and everything got better after that. The two accounts I just related deal with houses that were presumably, for lack of a better word, haunted. A house, even a small one, is usually larger than an apartment, which leads to the question, how big can you get? Can a whole mansion be haunted? A high-rise building? Or something even more vast, like acres and acres of farmland? Or maybe even a mountain? The conclusion I've come to is that it doesn't matter, and can't really be known. What can be known points in the opposite direction, decreasing in size from a house to an apartment to something even smaller. It's time I shared what I heard in that grocery store almost three years ago that spooked me. The night we were almost arrested, my friend, who was a returned missionary, told me and some others two stories while waiting in the checkout line. See episode 2 for the full background. He had served in the California Bakersfield Mission, which at first glance seems like a rather innocuous mission since it's stateside. No one really expects anything super awful to happen to a missionary living in America. For a lot of us, it's much easier to imagine all the ways something could go wrong in a foreign country. For example, when you compare your reaction to hearing that someone is going to serve in California versus the Congo. While access to modern conveniences can differ greatly between missions, there are some things that most, if not all, missions have to deal with in varying degrees of prevalence. One of these is encounters with the supernatural. Over the course of my investigating, if you want to call it that, I found that the United States is by no means exempt, despite the impression of safety the country gives to many. Honestly, it's just like crime. We're sure, maybe murder is more common in Central and South American nations, but it still happens in the US. And so my friend began his account, which he prefaced with stories about how dangerous and sketchy some of the areas in his mission were, including a time he had to knife a dog that would have mauled him otherwise. But here's what he said, as best as I can remember. He and his companion were just finishing up a lesson with a couple they had come to visit in the couple's home. At the end of a visit, it's typical for missionaries to ask if they can do anything to help, such as provide service, pray for someone or something in particular, etc. In response to this question, the couple gave the usual answer of, oh, no, we're good, thank you for offering, but then quickly backtracked. One of them said, there is actually something you can help us with. Well, the missionaries were eager to lend a hand. They always are, because it means building better relationships and spending less time on the streets. So the woman said, 
there's this vial of oil on the shelf in our kitchen. And we think it's like possessed or something. Could you get rid of it for us? The two elders were taken aback just a little. This was an interesting and no doubt unique service request. But it was a small bottle of oil, and the couple just wanted it gone. Easy enough. The couple led the elders to the shelf with the vial, and my friend, unworried and even a bit confident, reached up and grabbed the bottle. His arm went completely numb, the vial still clutched in his hand. The elders went outside and my friend tried to throw the vial, trying to get it out of his hand, but his arm was still numb and his hand wouldn't open. Eventually, he got himself separated from the bottle, and more elders were called to the scene to assist with the situation. Elders were giving each other blessings and everyone was trying to figure out what to do about the vial. Finally, the mission president was dialed, and not long after, he pulled up to the house in his car. He kicked or otherwise positioned the vial under the front tire and ran it over. He told the elders not to mess with this kind of stuff, and drove off. The story doesn't sound scary at all, but it had quite an impact on my notion of what missions were like. I don't know what I would have done if it was me with a vial of oil I couldn't let go of. I tried to think of a logical explanation for why my friend's arm went limp upon contact with the bottle. Maybe something like an electric current? But I couldn't come up with an answer I was satisfied with. At the time, I supposed it was just one of those things. A mystery. But that was only story number one. The second story is a bit of a reversal, in a way. Usually, if missionaries go to a specific house, it's because they were called there by whoever is in need of assistance. But one day, my same friend and his comp were walking down the sidewalk in a neighborhood when they were approached by a boy. As a missionary, it's rare when someone talks to you first. 95% of the time, it's the missionary that tries to start a conversation, not the other way around. Most people will brush you off with a curt hello, or even cross the street to avoid a potential interaction. But that's just adults. Kids are more curious when they see elders especially, but elders go out of their way to avoid children for obvious reasons. This boy that had stopped the elders was different though. After exchanging hellos, the elders listened to what he had to say. In his hand was a piece of paper, which he gave to the elders and then said something along the lines of this. Go to that address written on the paper. There are people there that want to hear your message. And then he left before the elders could ask him any questions. The elders, still kind of stunned by the interaction and the sudden clue dropped right in their laps, looked up the address and made their way to it. It was still in the same neighborhood, not far from where they'd met the boy. They found a house there and, doing what missionaries do best, knocked on the door. A man and a woman answered, and to the elders' surprise, they let them in. After some brief introductions, the elders told the couple about how they came to be at their house in particular, mentioning the boy and the note. Now it was the couple's turn to be surprised. Shocked, even. The elders learned that the couple had had a son, who died not too long ago. He was the same age as the boy on the street. 